The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Give you in the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. In case we ran out of ideas. And we've been pretty good at just yeah. tangent ing. Tangenting. That's true. That's true. Did you get a haircut? Uh, no. Because it's tousled much like a like a late 90s frat boy. Eh. <laughs> All right. Now it's better. It's just me being lazy and not actually Doing putting it with in it. places. <laughs> putting it in places. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fair. Um, <clears throat> I really would have liked to have started the show with that little synth thing that you were playing. That would have been entertaining. Yeah. I'm sure it would be entertaining hearing me just screw around making weird noises. I think some people would enjoy that. Not myself, but I think other people would. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, so today we have no guest. No one surprised us by randomly showing up. Yeah. Um, although... Uh, that drama got ridiculous. Oh, after I left last week? Yeah, oh yeah. I had to walk him to the police station because he was too scared to go himself. And then we got to the police station and he had no interest in going in. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm less and less taking him seriously, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then he left a two-star rating on the um, Facebook page for the studio. After you, yeah. After I spent after I spent two hours with him post podcast, okay. trying to soothe his anxiety. <laughs> He's not even paying you, and you're like going above and beyond. I, well, that's what friends do, right? Yeah. Until friends push things too far and hurt business. And then you really have to question the friendship. Hmm. Yeah. Do you leave a review or just give yeah. two stars? And that? You know, no, two stars with a review that seemed more like a text message about how his friends aren't really his friends. So okay. it had nothing to do with the studio. I flagged it with Facebook. I'm hoping they'll review it and pull it down, but... That might take them months. Okay. Well, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm glad he's not here today. Um, I, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy him talking uh, when he's when he's talking about audio. I enjoy him talking about audio, but... When he's not talking about audio, he's... It gets a little... It gets, gets tough. Can be. It gets tough. Mental Anywho. health is an issue that everybody needs to be able to talk about. Yeah. 
I'm glad that my particular mental health disorder is audio related because I have lots of lots of outlets for it. Anyway, I imagine yeah. you wanted to talk about STEM mastering and how much I, I dislike it. <laughs> I know we've covered this a lot before, but yeah. So last night I watched the first hour of a two-hour um, YouTube video with Mike Wells by Pure Mix. That's um, probably about as far as I got before I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to bed. Yeah, I, I just, at that point I, I was... I was trying to write emails and, and watch it at the same time, and I just yeah. I He's a really smart guy. He, it, it was an interesting um, interview, he, I guess. He's definitely he's definitely our kind of gear centric, though. Like he definitely, I could tell based on like little tiny comments that he'd made. Um, he definitely enjoys mastering. But he also really enjoys the gear and how the gear works together, and 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 choosing the right pieces of gear and and that whole yeah, you know, like he's he's definitely not one of those simple guys like like Joe Gilder that give me a microphone, I'll put it up in front of an instrument and it'll record. Yeah. <laughs> that actually makes me think of uh, a thing that happened this week. Oh, nice. We nice. got Joey story time. Yeah, whatever. Dum, dum, dum. At, at the store, we got an, a, <laughs> an API um, 3124V, which is the new. Oh, sweet. Uh, people were wondering if they were going to come out with one of those. That's with the variable output, right? Uh, yeah, with the variable output, but it also has the three to one uh, transformer, transformer yeah. switch that yeah. I don't quite. No, ex- like I don't know the exact thing that it's doing, but I know that it's changing the output of the transformer so that I think right. you're pushing the preamp more and less the transformer when it's engaged. And yeah. then it's just normal 3124 channel strip after that, or preamp after that, um, or if it's not engaged, so rather, sorry. Right, yeah, it's... Um so basically the three to one is the same idea that the API's A2D had. Yeah, it, but that's that was a, a two that to was one. A, that was a two to one. So this is just a higher ratio of a step down. Okay. So the idea is um it uh it removes there's there's two there's three coils on the input and there's three coils on the output of that individual tra- output transformer. Right, right. So you got the two sides, right? And so what it what it does is it is it is it removes two coils. This is how API describes it on their website, anyway. It removes two coils from the from the second half, the output side of the transformer, so that all of the induction happens from the outside coil to the inside coil on just one third of that inside that inside output. Okay, so with the three to one, it's even more. Ah, regardless, yeah. I, I was playing with it when we got it, and I was trying to figure out what that three to one was because, like, I, I look, I yeah. opened up expecting a, a thirty one twenty four plus, which and doesn't was, have that, right? And then I, I looked at, it, I was like, three to one. Since when do they have compressors in uh, in these things? And then. I did some reading on it. It was like, oh, that isn't a compressor. That's 
yep. something completely different. Yeah, all it's all it's intended to do is to reduce reduce the output volume so that you can drive all of the gain stages even that much harder. Yeah. Yep. And that's what I had to explain to my coworkers after I read the thing cuz everybody like read it and was like I don't understand this because I barely understand what a transformer is. <laughs> and so it's just like I had to explain to him like, well, what that, that means is you can drive your preamp harder yeah. without, uh, without even engaging the, attenua- the the attenuator. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just, I for the people who didn't understand it after that, I just said, think of it as a 10 dB pad because you got the 20 dB pad on those things. Yeah, it's it. So, so the twenty dB, dB pad is on the input. Yeah, and the, and that three to one is just on the output. Yeah, same it, type of it's idea. after the game. Yeah, which is fantastic. Um, was it that? No, it wasn't that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it it almost made me. They're they're significantly more expensive though, because there's more there's more gadgetry inside. Um, I didn't notice them being significantly different in price. The uh, at the least five, not our the, price. The 500 series units are uh, oh the 500 like, series probably yeah yeah they're like a they're this like is, I got the full rack eighty dollars so. American more for the 500 series unit, um, but then it doesn't yeah, matter whatever we got it's a it's the a full cool innovation rack and it is yeah. rentable for like 190 bucks a month. Is that it? Yeah. Damn. Damn. <laughs> That's twenty four hundred dollars a year. It'd, be, it'd pay itself off if, over what is it? Almost four four grand. Uh, it's like thirty five hundred, thirty six hundred. Yeah. Okay. I think the thing is, is in my system, we don't have the the V yet in the system, so I have to put it as a plus oh, in people, our system. People need to swoop in, and uh, I wonder if that was I a, already. Um, contacted the appropriate people who would are supposed to add that stuff so that I can yep. do things but I don't know uh, whatever I'll wait until they add stuff and then I'll do things that I need to do it, which it, is super technical in how long the quaid works but it finally um, like what when I saw when I saw that in the 500 series it finally made me reconsider API um, cause I really loved, I loved that, a, that A2D and I was really sad to sell it. Um, but, uh, I'm thinking I want to build a, a rack out of a 500 idea. power supply. Oh yeah. Maybe. Like you want to build a 500 power supply? Yeah. Cause I don't want to pay like $700 for eight That's channels fair. or the ability to have eight channels. How much? Uh, how much are the kits? Aren't they like two or three hundred bucks for? See, uh, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, and then putting in, putting in the time. Yeah, yeah. As Make long a, as as long as they're as long as they're all parts included for that three four hundred bucks. Yeah, if it's yeah, but then you got to populate it. Well, you it, might as well just. I get, mean, you might as well just get a it four is channel not that hard. I just you might as well just get a four channel um, thirty one twenty four V. Well, I wasn't going to populate it with that. I was thinking of getting myself a 500 series rack for like 511s and stuff. Yeah. Although maybe the the Portico, the four channel strip is better to you. 
The 500, <clears throat> the 500 series units, not factoring in the rack, the power supply, the 500 series units are, uh, are cheaper. Okay. But they're also different. They're also different topologies, right? Yeah. Like they, um, I they have wish. different, they, yeah. it's, it's the, uh, the, the 511s have the variable low pass, high pass, sorry, variable high pass. And right. they have different silk circuits. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. The, I didn't know uh, that. The 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 four channel rack mount the fifty twenty four has a high not a high mid um, like a like a upper mid um, silk circuit. Okay. Whereas the five elevens have the lower mid silk circuit. Cool. Yeah. And again and again that that silk circuit is variable on the five elevens, but it's not on the fifty twenty four. Hmm. It's one of the reasons I'm selling the fifty twenty four. Because you want the variable silk. Well, I, um, not specifically, but it's the the five the the five elevens are just more versatile. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I, I wish when I was still at that studio that I helped build that I had taken some of that money and started a five hundred series rack with five elevens in them. Hmm. But oh, I I mean I did get some investments that I've. Like my iPad was yeah. a, a good investment. So, um, from that job, the porticos make really nice uh, reamp boxes too. Never tried that because mainly because I only had one yeah. channel at that studio. That's fair, but with you know considering the wonderful applications of of reamping. Um, the five, five elevens. Excuse me. Oh dear God. Yeah. Right. Excuse me. Yeah. That just needed to come out. It was having trouble. Um, they're just, they're really nice. You know, they have a nice musical tone. The silk, um, feature is, is a nice tone shift. Yeah. Subtle, but it's a nice tone shift. Um, and you can, if you drive them hard, but not too hard, um, cause the op amps don't clip nicely. Oh, not, I never noticed that. I, I, I just noticed that the preamp in general, every time yeah. I used it, it seemed very musical mm-hmm. and I've never clipped it hard. I like did some soft clipping and it was like yeah. a really good, like no one who knows how distortion works type of thing would probably notice that I'm actually distorting. Right. They would just be like, oh, it sounds bigger and stuff. It's just like, yeah, because yeah. I'm technically distorting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it's just not so much that you know that it's clearly distortion. But now that you say that, I want to get a 511 and just crank the hell out of it. Mind you, like in that studio, I, I none of the music I recorded you could get away with that. So that's fair. That is fair. I think the thing I, I, I don't enjoy about the five elevens just is the variable output. Like it's got a six decibel trim, um, on the output stage, but yeah, that's it. The trim threw me off. Cause it was the first time 
using it yeah. uh, was the first time I ever saw a trim knob. Oh, yeah? Right. Yeah, so it, it threw me off. Is this giving me a haircut? What's going on? Oh, no. It's just, it, it took a little bit of thinking, like maybe 10, 15 seconds of going like, mm. trim, what is that? Oh, that must be this. And then I tried it out and it's like, yep, that is what that is. The 1073 lunchbox has the same thing, except it's got a um, plus 10, minus 20 um, trim knob. Which to me seems more useful. That's a lot. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, <clears throat> I have some really cheap. Uh, speaking of my 1073, isn't working right now. I got to figure that out. Add that to my list. Um, I have some some pretty cheap gear in here that just can't handle a really heavy input. Yeah. So I value the ability to turn turn the output of a preamp down. Oh, that's why I liked the porticos at that one studio. Mm-hmm. Like partially because I didn't have to use the preamps in the converter that we were using, or slash, I guess interface that we were using because oh, I yeah. hated that interface. The thing was awful. So, I, <clears throat> yeah, I enjoyed having the five eleven for a lot of the stuff that we did. I wish we had more because it was kind of annoying when I had to. Re- have more than one microphone up and only had the one 511 so it's just <laughs> yeah. like if i had like three 511s i would have been it would have been great mm. yeah yeah i mean they're pretty fantastic mm-hmm. um i mean it's just a, a lesson learned from you know i guess that was technically the first kind of studio build I did. Okay. Like half of it was built before I got involved, but I was responsible for the gear. Yeah. And buying that. Someone else can be responsible for the lumber, but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I might be doing another studio build hopefully oh. soon. I'm just waiting yeah, you were, for you were talking about to, that last week. Yeah. What were you waiting on? I'm just waiting for people to either email me or something. Gotcha. And then I've decided I'm totally doing a gonna do a, a rebranding of uh, cold weather studios as uh, like I'm going to Roach Audio Productions no <laughs> no <laughs> no I thought that was fantastic I hear you? that joke yeah. enough as is I don't need a studio that makes the joke even worse <laughs> yeah but you would get so much work out of that yeah rappers I don't want rappers ah yeah you know, I got approached actually a couple days ago to do some drum editing for a band in India. That I, same band? I don't were... understand it, but mm. I somehow have a fan base in India. I've never worked with anyone in India. I've had prospects in India, but right. like somehow I have like a small fan base in India. And every now and again, like somebody from India will be like, hey, I love your work. How much so is weird. it to do this? It's just like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I did a drum, well, I actually did a live in studio, uh, night on Friday night with the band. <clears throat> Had a band call me up 11 o'clock in the morning and wanting to get in that night. Mm-hmm. I was already booked but by a rapper. <laughs> so right. I had, I had to say no 
But the band was so insistent that the lead singer actually took me out for lunch. Oh man. Yeah. Took me out for lunch and we talked about it. We talked about other things, but, and then made sure that if the rapper didn't show up, because he knows, yeah, he, he knows how that works, right? Yeah. To give him a call. And so sure enough, um, the rapper was supposed to show up at five by five thirty. There was nothing. And so I gave, uh, gave the guy a call and said, Hey, what time you guys want to be here? <laughs> Cause we'll be there by seven. So they showed up, we set up and recorded until like 11 o'clock and it was pretty great. I tried something new, something I'd never done before. I had four mics on the kick drum. Hmm. It was pretty fantastic. I had that would uh, give you a lot of flavors. Had a Beta ninety one on the inside, yeah, right up close to the batter. Uh, D six sitting right inside the port. Okay. Uh, tube mic sitting right outside the uh, the res head. Okay. And then the ribbon mic underneath the snare drum, aimed at the batter. Huh. The Shure ribbon mic. Yeah. Oh, the... Uh, 313? Yeah. The one that used to be the one. naked eye? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I, I had that... get one of those. That mic I had aimed at the batter, but the backside was picking up the underside of the snare. So, it was, yeah, that'd it was be cool. dual purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fantastic. But that kick drum, that was the, that was the heaviest kick drum, like thick, right from like... 60 hertz all the way up through 150, just thick. That's huh. fantastic. Yeah. Ribbon mic on the, the beater, that, that sounds like an interesting idea. I got that from Greg Wright, actually. He does that all the time. He's got an, R, uh, an R121 that he puts in that spot. One, one aimed at the, uh, at the snares, the other aimed at the, at the beater. Yeah. It was really fantastic. How did that conference go? during the weekend i bought tickets but didn't i didn't realize that uh i was going to be at work while you were talking <laughs> otherwise i yeah. would have been in the crowd being like your podcast sucks <laughs> <laughs> it went really good actually um your co-host is an idiot <laughs> <laughs> uh there were ended up just being four of us there were supposed to be six or seven on the panel but it ended up just being four of us okay uh, Greg Wright, Tyson, Travnik. Um, no, of course, Tyson's going to be there. Uh, damn, I can't remember the other guy. Greg um, Semniuk? Yeah. Yeah, and then myself. Okay. Um, and it was... It, it was it was interesting. We were the last panel of the day, and so most people had left by that point. I think there might have been like the twenty people left. Yeah, people who are actually interested in that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but it also ran. We also started forty five minutes late. Uh, yeah, it was one of those. Uh, they had, I think, they had just they just scheduled it too tightly. Uh, Kara Ashby, um, chaired the panel, hosted the panel. She okay. asked, uh, asked all the questions, took questions from the audience. Right. Um, it was good. We talked as much about live sound as we did uh, as we yeah. did recording. Um, didn't dive too deep into anything, although we had a good discussion about um, whether or not gear matters. Uh, and what's the solution? There's no solution. Other than if you can play, gear doesn't matter. 
Well, I, I mean, yeah. right. Uh, if you, sorry, more importantly, if you can't play, the gear doesn't matter. If you can play, the gear doesn't matter. The gear can make a difference, but not enough that most people will ever know. Yeah. Yeah. It's only that, it's only that. Well, one. And there's so much cheap, good gear these days. It's like, you don't need that $3,000 guitar amplifier when you can buy a yeah. $300 multi effects that does like a bajillion guitar speaking of do you know who paul wolf is paul wolf yeah so paul say no paul wolf was the second owner of api okay and i think he was the guy that owned api from the late 70s through to the mid 90s something like that when the new the new company not company but the new owners took over okay Something like that. He bought API for $65,000 at the end of the 70s. Okay. Um, and then probably sold it for several million. Something like that, maybe. Um, he's also the guy behind Tonalux. Okay. And something else. Um, I guess I, wish oh, I was that smart. He's doing, um, he's just doing uh, <clears throat> like partner work with, like he, he partnered up with Stephen Slate for a project and partnered up with other people, other yeah. design teams for projects. Anyway, so <clears throat> I don't know why the, your statement about cheap gear reminded Triggered me of this. this, but they used to put, when, when he was, so he worked for API before he bought API. Right. They used to put API preamps in like telephones Wow. Like, like, yeah, like, like 312 preamps in telephones. Where are these? In what telephones are these? So I can uh, like, off, go to the antique store and try to find 70s, them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he did a, it was, it, it was the, inter, an interview he did with Bobby Osinski. One of the few that I actually listened to. Um, but it was really good, really interesting to hear him talk. Um, I enjoyed listening to those guys who like helped design some right? really notable pieces of equipment in the, our niche nerdom. Mm -hmm. But it was it was it was the coolest I think to hear all the different uses. Like API wasn't at all dedicated to pro audio. They well, were. Well, you can tell with the the name of the company. Yeah, Automated I, Processes Inc. Right. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. sound like a pro audio company. It just no, sounds like a a company that builds stuff. Yeah, well and, and they were they were working um a lot with uh with damn was it uh it was a lot in communications, a lot of broadcast. Um yeah. I I, I want now I want to go re listen to it to remind myself of all the stuff he talked about. Cool guy, anyway. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I kind of want to... I'm, I'm going to probably listen to that and try to figure out what telephones those are so I can go antique shopping for right? old-ass telephones. Right. And gut them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they probably haven't already been thrown out and landfilled. Yeah. Whatever, I'll, I'll make sure the circuit's in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I could just buy end caps for XLR a quarter inch. And <laughs> plug your telephone in with an XLR cable. 
<laughs> um, well, no, I'll, I will get the thing so I could get the preamp yeah. circuit. Yeah. And then just, then I'll have a preamp. It'll look ugly because I'll have no casing for it, but I will cut that thing and make myself a, five, a 312 preamp. Yeah, but you could, I mean, you could install that into just about anything. I mean, they even sell, they even sell um, 500 series faceplates that are pre-drilled to drop something like that in. Yeah. And it's, it's commonplace to, it's commonplace to take an old 312 card mounted on a 500 series uh, plate and then make sure that all the, isn't that pretty much how the. 500 series was born as people were taking apart consoles and that he was the guy that he was the guy that designed the first 500 series um, box that first four channel lunchbox right I think it was four channel yeah and the the whole purpose of of them was so that you could take apart your board and wasn't it Mm. he was he had he had people request something um, something portable like that so they could do so they could take just the they they could take pieces like that to a conference or a, to a remote location or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's So it it was it was an actual it was an actual customer request. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Set it up for portable recording and mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody was gutting their their boards. <laughs> <laughs> and put in which, them in boxes, which doesn't make sense because the boards, as a sum, probably sound better than just the preamp. I would suspect. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, probably a lot of those people who were getting their boards didn't think of it like that. Yeah, maybe that'd be my speculation. I don't know. I wasn't around then. I was probably not even born around the time that they were doing that. That was the end of the seventies. Yeah. I definitely wasn't born. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the the other thing that came about from the um, from the the session on on Friday, I tried the uh, the Telefunken M80 on snare again. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about it, but there's just too much hi hat bleed coming in on the damn thing. It's not. Uh, it's not unusable because I've I've had a couple records go out, right? Um, with it, but there's a lot. But there's there's a lot. Yeah, huh. must be a pretty wide polar pattern. There. That's what I was thinking. But I've heard I've heard some people talk about how it's super cardioid. Maybe that's why. Maybe there's some. Maybe there's some. Maybe if it's I'm super placing. cardioid, it should be pretty. But it opens up from tight. the back a little bit. Yeah, it does. So maybe maybe I'm placing it. Maybe that's what I'm doing. Is I'm maybe I, you should place it somewhere else so yeah. that the back is facing something. Yeah. Okay. Need to play with it some more then. Uh, That'd be my speculation. That is fair, sir. Is that the M80 really super cardio? I thought so. Um, you know what? I have a Internet. computer here. Internet. Oh, that'll take forever to. Ooh. Um, more yeah. emails. Da, da, da. Well, uh, anywho, did you want to still continue talking about STEM mastering and my loathing for that? Yes, yes. So as um, 
Uh, polar. I'm typing sideways with one finger. I feel like my father. A tight cardioid, uh, tight cardioid pattern. So it does open up a little bit on the back? Uh, it, it's a cardioid. It's not a super cardioid. Hmm, okay. At least according to Telefunken. Yeah. All right. So. Um, anyway. Cool. Oh, yeah. Nope. So. No. What? No, it is super cardioid. So that's what tight cardioid their means. Their description is a super tight cardioid pattern, but when you actually go in their specs, it's described as a super cardioid pattern. There you go. Okay, so. <clears throat> Anywho, spa, uh, stem mastering. Yes. Um, I. Considering most of the clients that I get that I work with that I, the, the mastering jobs that I do, I would actually prefer to have STEM mastering or prefer to do STEM mastering because, excuse me, most of the mixes that I get aren't very good. That'd and I could, I could fair. do, I, it's just like Mike Wells was saying, he cranks up the volume. Suddenly, all this bloom in the low mids comes out. Yeah. And it's 300 hertz in the guitars, but it's 150, 200 hertz in the drums. It's yeah. it's, it's it's different spots I mean, for different instruments. I will instruments, admit, and you I can, have asked right? for stems when I've mastered for people. You hypocrite. But if a mastering engineer asks me for stems, I say no. And they should be okay with that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, like the difference that he did a um, he did a comparison. Uh, I think I've only, to be fair, I've only in all of the mastering jobs I've done, I've only ever asked for stems twice. So it's a very rare thing for me. Okay, like I would prefer to do a stereo master, and I will probably before I even get to the point where I'm like, send me stems, I would walk them through doing like a couple revisions of the mix first. That's fair. And then when it's like at that point where it's like, clearly you're not quite getting what I'm saying. I'll be like, <laughs> okay, send me, send me the, uh, uh, the stems. Cause this, it'll be quicker. And then I can just do like the quick EQs that I need. And yeah. then I probably from there, some that to stereo and master that. Well, but that's that's what that's what Mike Wells was doing, right? Yeah, like I know that's was, what he was doing. Was just, he was taking he was taking the stems, correcting the problems, summing them to stereo, and then mastering it in stereo. I know, but majority of the time when a mastering engineer is asking you for stems, at least in my experience with when I have sent stems, they're not doing that. They're adjusting levels and stuff like that. In the mix, they're not doing like a quick high pass or a quick EQ right, change. They're like changing the mix entirely. And 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 again, I come back to my my experience as the mastering guy. There's so many times when I wish I could do that. When I wish I could just control the volume of the snare drum, or turn up the bass guitar, or turn down the bass guitar, or turn up the guitar. I was listening to uh, to the second album um, 
of a band that I mastered, Unban Jace. They're, they're kind of punk, old school. They're Trekkies. Anyway, so the first record they did with, with, a, with a home producer, and it was I'm pretty sure it was his first project. Pretty for sure it was his first mixes. Um, and so they were they were they were kind of rough. Yeah. Right. Um, but we were able to get a lot out of them after, you know, a week of me going back and forth with the guy trying to fix this problem and trying to fix that problem and readjust this and readjust that. Yeah. <clears throat> I never asked for stems, but I listened to they did uh they did their second album. The singer tracked everything and sent it to another buddy to mix. Mm-hmm. And it came out really, really clean, but it was definitely mixed by a drummer. Because it was just all drums. It, well, it, it was there, there was so much drums, and the, and the, the guitars felt the guitars felt pretty recessed, and the vocal the vocal was a little more out front. But that would have been solved by the drum or by the guitars just being in the right spot. So it would have been it would have been really nice to, and, and the drums were mixed super wide too. I think I think they were anyway. It just would have been really nice to to be able to go back and readjust just the just the the the, the general like slight changes in the drum volume, slight changes in the in the guitar mix volume, you know, that's fair. Readjust those stems by a little bit to create more balance. I guess. I I don't know. To me, like because of my experience with sending to mastering engineers to get mastered and stuff, whenever I'm approached to do mastering, I've kind of just, I try to put myself in a place of like, what if, the mixer, whoever's in charge of the project, sent it to me. Like, I'm not going to... You sent me a mix because you're happy with that mix, so I'm going right. to try to make it sound more or less the same. We're going to... I'm going to probably get rid of some things, like some noticeable problems, that are going to stop us from getting a louder mix. Mm-hmm. Uh if your low end is muddy and it's going to stop me from getting it to that loudness that you want, I'm going to probably say, Hey, can you make these EQ adjustments? That'll allow me to push the volume more. Like I'll explain to them what, why I want certain changes. Then if they say no, that's fine. I'll master it as is. If they say, yeah, sure. And then give me the new mix. I'll master that. But even if I was to do stem mixing, like I wouldn't change any of the levels. I, I just if your drums are the main focus, I assume that's what you wanted as a band. Right. And I think and I think that's the difference between you as a mastering engineer or even you as a mixer versus a lot of a lot of other guys. It's another thing that that Wells talked about. Um there are guys that want to give you their sound right like like you're coming to me for my sound this is how i make records sound see and i have that opinion when it comes to like mixing fair (laughs) enough mastering to me it's just like no you already paid somebody for their sound i'm not gonna then color their sound with my sound when we're doing the mastering process right 
I mean, there's still going to be a little bit of my sound anyway, because I'm probably during the mastering process you, saturate. Well, and 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 you do you do things a certain way that result or that give you certain results, right? Yeah, that's just kind of natural. And neither of us, neither of us specifically has the least colored or the most transparent of gear. So, yeah. you know, there's always going to be some imparting of sound based on the equipment we use. Well, and that's the thing that I just don't care about either. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If my gear colors stuff, I'm usually like, okay, perfect. Because it's kind of what I like out of, like the pieces of gear that I really like all have a color to them. Mm-hmm. The pieces of gear that I'm just like, eh, they're <laughs> the more transparent ones, usually. So that brings me to another thing that um, I found a new obsession gear-wise. And specifically, I found, uh, I've stumbled across the Drummer 1973, okay. which is their analog hardware unit that is a multiband FET compressor, stereo multiband FET compressor. Ooh. Yeah. Be, that could be cool. And it's not one of those four or five. $10,000 multiband compressors. It, it, it's FET. There's no tubes, right? Right. But it's all transformer-based and FET-based. Yeah. Um, and I've been reading reviews lately, and it sounds really nice. How much it, is it? Uh, Studio Economique is selling it for 20 and change, 2,000 and change. Um, so probably 22 delivered with GST and all that. That's... For a stereo multiband compressor, that's a pretty good price. Well, but the thing is, it's 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 not tubes. Yeah, and so it doesn't weigh a ton. <laughs> yeah, lots of transformers though. <laughs> Transformer balanced on every on every. Yeah, um, but if you have tubes, you still have transformers. That's true. That's true. So, but the the, tra- the, the, the tubes don't weigh a ton. It's I know the tubes that don't weigh a, weigh a ton, but when you have tubes, the, usually the transformers in there are Trans- massive. Yeah, massive transformers. And when you don't have tubes, they're ceramics. usually smaller transformers. Yeah, fair. fair. <laughs> anyway, um, I I don't have any experience with um, FET compressors aside from 1176s. Yeah. And so I have no idea. Excuse me. Um, Zen Pro has a uh, has one of their YouTube videos using it, mm-hmm. so I I have that on my list to go and listen to it. But I have no idea what to expect um, from a from a FET compressor um, as a multiband compressor because it it has attack times that are as slow as fifty sec- fifty milliseconds, I think, hmm. or maybe it's maybe it's even slower. Um. Anyway, fifty it was, milliseconds is and still well, and 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 one of the uh, one of the um one of the noted uh, drawbacks of the price point was that it's it's six um six options for attack time. Okay, and three options for manual release time and three options for automatic release time. But the automatic release time looks like it's longer than the manual. Okay. 
release times. Um, that sounds like something I would like. Oh yeah, I'm I, I, very minimalist. Like, give me a few options, and I will figure out what works best of those options for whatever thing I'm doing. See, and 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 I'm at least as far as compressors go, <clears throat> compressors and EQs. Fuck, I feel like this for everything. I don't mind steps, but I like smaller steps because there's there most of the time with big heavy steps, what I'm looking for is right in between. <laughs> it's like it's like me in jeans, man. You know how long it's it, 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 I've been I've been wearing pants at my current size for I don't know, 15 years. Right. And they do not make a pair of pants my size. There's a size too big and there's a size too small, but there's nothing in the middle. That's <laughs> how I feel about my pants size. I can, right. I can usually either get the waist or the leg size. I can always not get the both. leg size, but you're, you're super tall and long. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, can we just add like six inches of extra fabric onto the bottom of these jeans? Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. With hey, EQs though, I'm, I'm usually a parametric fan. Well, I, I I don't care about steps as much, though the API steps I, I think those are pretty good steps. Like well, where they have they are pretty good spots. They are pretty good spots, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's it's often one step is a compromise in one direction, another step is a compromise in another direction, right? Fair, especially like the way the way I use most parametric EQing is to remove problems rather than to, to enhance something. And I find, I find when I'm, when I'm looking to enhance something, when I'm looking to boost a frequency range, Mm -hmm. that's when the steps seem to nail it on the head. Right. But when I'm looking to cut something, when I'm looking to remove a problem or remove some, you know, some competing, some masking, that's when I want something freer. Right. That's, that's usually what I use my digital EQ, digital parametric EQs for. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's totally fair. Well, I still use my digital parametric EQs for boosting and stuff too. Cause I, I, I love the Sonics stuff. I think I like them though, because I get like four different flavors of EQ in one EQ. In one box. Yeah. So I could have stuff that has like really wide bands. Right. Even when I like make the queue very <laughs> narrow, it's still pretty like in terms of digital, it would be a wide band. Okay. Because <clears throat> it's modeled more after like the UK old school analog stuff, which apparently had super wide bands. Like the Neve stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently yeah, those they had were really wide bands. Point six or point seven um Q factor. I don't, know. I don't know what the numbers actually mean, but that's that's the that's the two numbers I've heard Rupert Neve throw around consistently is point six, point yeah, seven. Well, you listen to Rupert Neve talk, and it gets into like <laughs> I go through this wire into this transformer into this resistor, and it's just like uh, I I know what those things are, but I'm completely lost in what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've heard him make other con- uh, have other conversations where he's he's been a lot less technical. Yeah, um, I just I, I don't know. I, I've fair. seen interviews 
where they are trying to get technical information and he will like go right into the deep end and right. like assume you know what he's talking about. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to record this because I'm not going to keep up today. <laughs> Maybe in 20 years I'll have enough information to... Maybe. <laughs> I've been enjoying my my new position as the paratech because I've actually been able to like learn a little bit more about electronics and how they work. Sweet. Any? Not any, that I was terrible at it before. It's just uh, like now it's like oh, that makes more sense to me now. It, like it did before, but now it's like I'm actually understanding. Oops, the signal path to like an even more finite degree, I guess. That's good. Yeah. It's That's amazing good. what happens when you have an electronics tech being like, yeah, this is how you fix this. And oh, the, yeah. this is why. <laughs> like that's, that's, awesome. that's what my, yeah, it's cool having the repair tech at work. Being, being like, coach you. this is what I want you to do. This is why you should do it this way. Yeah. Here's you, some tips on how to do it this way. How much time are you spending doing that? Um, Lately, not a whole lot because it's we're short one guy in rentals as well as it's wedding festival season. Well, no, festival season has officially started, but the bulk of it is yet to come because Folk Fest is yet to come. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, Fuck. Which is like the biggest rental that we do. Well, no, no. The production companies are the biggest rentals we do, but we usually do them at the beginning of festival season, and they're like thirty, fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment, and they keep them for the entire summer. The entire summer, yeah, that makes sense. So that's about to start, and we're short a guy. So I just like I repair the odd thing, like I've I've put in new cones in speakers mm. or tightened cabinets because they were like shaking apart, right. Things like that. Very some, simple Some stuff. of the more basic stuff, yeah. Well, that's my job is to do the basic stuff. So, the so that the tech can, the can more. do the more uh, technical right. stuff. How, what kind of, like, what kind of more advanced stuff can he do? Can I do? No, can he do? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm. Oh, he's a super smart guy. And as long as he has the schematic, he could pretty much build anything. Uh, just the thing is, is not all the companies are willing to give him the schematic so that he knows what part goes where. Right. That's fair. Okay. Um, I'm, um, he's kind of, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I, I consider him really smart and like he could say things just slightly above my head, like where I, I know kind of what he's saying, but at the same time, the way he's saying it is that level of uh, technical that's just I'd never learned about because I didn't go to school for being an electronics technician. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I did. Like, so, so many life choices that I made around that time. I wished one of them was to actually go through with that electronics education. Well, part of me wishes that, um, that audio engineering degrees still had that as part of their thing because yeah. at one point in time that was a that thing was, you had to know yeah you had to be because it was an engineering the, job 
like you had yeah. to know how a signal path worked to a like pretty electronic detailed degree. Yeah. yeah. Whereas now it's just like all you need to know is how to use a computer. And so I've, bad. being the person I am, I, I learned, or like I've listened to interviews from people from way back when, and I've tried to learn how electronics work as a result to try and understand signal path even more. Right. And thus I know what transformers are. Whereas there's a pretty big chunk at least in my experience of people going to school for engineering who don't know what transformers are or at the very least when you start to talk to them about the electronics and components that are in these pieces of gear that you mutually like then it's just you can tell looking at their face that you just are talking above their head (laughs) I've noticed that quite a bit where I'm just like oh yeah there's a K47 capsule in that microphone and a Synmeg uh, transformer in that compressor. And then I'd just be like, what is that stuff? (laughs) (laughs) The uh, the hip-hop guy that was in here last night, he's watching me. He had to record a phone call for one of his songs. Okay. Intro, like, buddy giving him crap on the phone type of thing, right? right? Wanted it to sound like it was on telephone. So we plugged his telephone into the system and recorded it. But the guy was on the phone and I couldn't get him I couldn't get him a uh, an output from the computer so that he'd be able to hear the, the song. So the, the singer just cued him, right? So they could never line up the timing. Not a big deal. It's really easy. It was just conversations. really easy to slide it around. Right? Yeah. So I slide the phone conversation around and the guys, the singer's looking at me like, holy crap, how do you know how to do this? Like, this has got to be one of the easiest things. I could show you how to do it. It's like, no, 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 man. It's too complicated for me. It's like, you just didn't want to know at all. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I know, right? (laughs) It's just like, okay, if you don't want to know, that's fine. That just means you're going to spend more money on getting someone like me to do it for you. Yeah. Despite yeah. the fact that, that, yeah, that's super easy stuff. That's like click and drag. I know, right? I was just surprised how little, like, he, he just didn't want to know. He wanted to be amazed. I guess that's how people that, I, that I, are enthralled with I quote, have unquote, magic like shows. That, where, like, I recorded them when I was terrible and they were amazed at amazed my at ability because I could yeah. push record (laughs) how do you know to put up the microphone there like it's in front of your face i don't see but so hard about that (laughs) well i think that uh, with this particular buddy i'm talking about he would be amazed at like oh we're listening to a drum thing and I, i would know like oh there's i don't know i'm i'm trying to record maybe the kick drum and this this project I had to settle I think for two mics on the drum, oh, yeah. and so like I had one microphone focused on the kick drum, and then I had the other like I, I was trying to position it in a place where I wasn't getting too much kick drum, and I was getting the rest of the stuff, and they were amazed at the the fact that he was able to get something that sound fine. Sound fine, yeah. Well, it sounded terrible, but but 
I would in the process we thought it sounded fine because none of us mm-hmm. knew what the hell we were doing. Right. That's very fair. Because I think it was like their first time ever recording a song, and it was my first real time recording a song. Or being paid to record a song, actually. It wasn't my first time recording. Because that's why they got me to record them. It's because I have been learning how to record. But I amazed everyone at the conference on Saturday by telling them the story of the first recording I ever did, which was on cassette between two ghetto blasters. Yeah. Yep. They're like, wow, you recorded on cassette. That sounds so amazing. Okay. (laughs) I profited off that one. I bought CDs or I bought CDs. I bought cassettes, blank cassettes from work because I worked at Radio Shack at the time. Source, there's Circuit City, Source, I don't know, something like that. Um, Now, anyway. um, But I would buy cassettes in bulk because I could for like 75 cents a piece or something. And then I'd, and then I'd, you know, I'd, I put in decades worth of time, um, not even close, but I put in lots of time making copies. And sell those copies. Sell those copies for five bucks a piece. Huh. Yeah. Back in the days when people actually... That would have been 1996. Yeah, that would be when people had cassette players. Yeah. Although uh, one of my my teachers, because that was high school, that was grade 12, I think. Yeah, one of... um, one of my teachers was willing to give me $5, but didn't want the cassette at all. Hmm. Yeah. It was, it was like, it was like she was embarrassed to have a cassette or to take something from me, but she was willing to give me $5. Okay. Yeah. I didn't understand it at all. I'll take your money. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a terrible recording, but I, I did I did two passes, lead vocal and rhythm guitar. Yeah, um, and then a second pass with a harmony vocal and lead guitar. Hmm. That was just about every song. Yeah, my first recording. We I think we were given three days to record six songs. And that project taught me that you don't fit six songs in three days with a band that's never rehearsed or <laughs> barely knows their songs. Oh yeah, I, I, I was I was gonna say like my first full band recording, we did eleven songs recorded and mixed in three days um, in a basement studio. Yeah, if you know. But we were super well rehearsed, and the yeah. only the only thing we didn't do like we were three piece bands, so we did guitar, bass, and drums all at the same time. And then we did like lead guitar, second guitar and vocals as overdubs, but right. And then, and then the drummer and I got kicked out of the studio because we didn't want to get high. Not even kidding. Huh? Nowadays, that's almost not acceptable in a studio. (laughs) Yeah, because well, most studios are like this is a work environment. Yeah, it was a basement studio, right? So it was just in in a in a guy's house. In fact, I think it was the guy's mom's house. Okay, but um, but didn't want to get high, so he kicked you out. Well, he didn't kick us out. Our bass player kicked us out. Oh, yeah, because they were they were his friends. Yeah, it's drama. 
Yeah. I haven't spoken to that guy in like six years, so no worries. <laughs> okay, we got to go. Uh, thanks, everybody, for... I think we got to the point today. But yeah, if not, maybe next we've week. We've proved that I don't like STEM mastering. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Follow our hosts on Twitter at Two Bodies of Water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.